2: Welcome to episode 16 of the Husky International series and a long interview with German alpinist David Göttler. I met up with David when he came to Stockholm for a lecture as a part of the release of The Other Way, a brand new summit series from the North Face. My name is Magnus Urmastad, and this is the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. Find out more about this episode and previous episodes at huskypodcast.com. This episode was made in cooperation with Nature and The North Face. I also came in contact with some of the people in the U.S. behind the design process of The Other Way.
3: You guys there? Yes, we are.
2: And uh, we did a short interview.
3: Yeah, I'm Joe Bernaccio. I'm the global vice president of product at The North Face. Uh, so
4: could you tell me a bit, um, uh, what is the, uh, the Summit Series from the North Face? What's the, the background story behind that? Yeah, the
3: Summit Series is a, is a uh, group of products that we specifically label with Summit Series on it. That is to be our best-in-class mountaineering kit. Um, it's something that the brand started in 2000. The year two thousand, and uh, it's continued to evolve ever since. And it's kind of become uh, a statement in the marketplace as uh, the best, and and what, and and illustrates what's possible to make.
4: And now for this season, you uh, you launched uh, the summit series. Uh, well, kind of a special edition of the summit series, series. If I if I understood it correctly, uh, that's called the other way. Uh, so what's the story behind that and what's the story behind the name?
3: Yeah, I mean a couple of things. One was uh, internally just with us as a, as a product team and a, and a, and a brand. Um, Summit Series over those 15 years or so um, continue to evolve and broaden and, and get much larger than just this premier uh, mountaineering kit. So we decided we'd take uh, we take the risk um, to edit it down and get back to just that premium kit. Um, at the same time as we were looking at that, we we had ways of manufacturing and ways of making product that we wanted to try and and we thought could really elevate the uh, the product in what was possible. Um, so we uh, use Summit Series as our think tank to evolve what's possible in, uh, in both manufacturing, in design, but also uh, how we meet the athlete's needs um, to try to make you know, garments that are incredibly warm, incredibly durable um, in the most progressive, advanced ways possible. Um, so that was kind of the foundation of the reset. One was the bring, it, bring, the, bring it back down to a Mountaineer's kit, and to uh, use it as our laboratory for our best thinking. In our design process, we kept trying to choose the more difficult route. So trying to make some analogy to climbing a mountain that had been climbed many, many times, but how do we, how do, we do it? How do we take the more elegant line and the more uh, interesting way up the mountain We decided when we got to a design problem, we kept saying to ourselves, well, let's go the other way and see where we get to. Um, And that just happened to be coincidentally similar or very almost identical to what Conrad says. Um, We have a quote from Conrad where he was saying, you know, some people decide to go become uh, accountants and I just decided to go the other way and become a mountaineer for for a living. And uh, both us seeing it in writing from Conrad and us realizing that we've said that through the entire design process, we thought that that was uh, just the right thing to kind of give ourselves something to hold on to for this season.
4: Um, when, when designing uh, a series like this one, like uh, The Other Way, um, how does it work? Like where do you get the, the most important, the most valuable input from, from, uh, for the design team?
3: Yeah, it all started with the athletes. Um, it started very simply with just a, a big group of our athletes getting together, getting together in Boulder, um, having dinner, opening up a few bottles of wine, and talking. Um, they all brought garments that they liked, things that they didn't like, um, both whether it be our products or other companies' products, and uh, and the process kind of started from there, from just a simple dinner. Um, and was, that was part of the spark and part of the inspiration behind even, even this idea of editing it back down um, to just the essentials and just what the athletes needed. And then from there, we worked um, certainly with Conrad. Conrad Anchor was was uh, instrumental in this uh, project from the very beginning and went all the way through to the final um, testing expedition that we sent people on. Um, so it it always starts and stops ends with our athletes, um, and uh, many of our designers are athletes themselves, and they get out there with them. And um, so it's there's not that much translation required. It's simply just reminding ourselves what those things are that people need.
4: But but and um, and, and during this process, uh, could you get like a. Like a phone call from from Conrad or someone like calling from Burma, like screaming at you, like remove the Velcor from the this and this uh, layer and blah blah blah. Or do you have like a, a structure with with regular meetings during the during the year and during the process? i
3: um, a little bit of both. Uh, there's definitely you know uh, set touch points where we'll get together to make sure every last detail is considered, but. We did get such a phone call where Conrad called <laughs> and said, you've got to take the gaiters out of this <laughs> pants. I'm tired of these big, wide pants that everybody forces me to use. And in ice climbing, I want to be able to see my feet, and I want you to take these gaiters out. These aren't ski pants. These are mountaineering pants, and I don't need gaiters. Um, and we took them out. And it, uh, you know, it, makes, it makes the pant a lot less commercial um, in broad use, so harder to ski in and harder to um, ski mountaineer in um, because you don't have that gator, But it's excellent for ice climbing, um, which um, would be the- <laughs> yeah. And and that's
4: really the the, the next question: if it's um, uh, sometimes difficult or perhaps even impossible because you are. I mean, you are a commercial company, and and if it's difficult to kind of translate this. Because the needs of, of the people like Gettler and, and Conrad Anker, uh, they are highly skilled, like, very kind of narrow professionals. Uh, and their demands and their uh, thoughts about equipment, is it difficult to translate that into something that, that will like, speak to the, to the normal end customers and, and attract the masses, kind of?
3: Yeah, I mean, there are parts of our line where we, we do need to do that translation. This was not the place for us to do that. This was the place for us to purely express what that pinnacle mountaineer alpinist needs and, and put it in our line with no dilution and no editing. Um, so this, this was the place for us to do that. We weren't, uh, we're not measuring our success or failure based upon how many units we sell. We're, we're uh, measuring our success based upon comments we are getting from uh, mountaineers. Who are actually using the product on the mountain? And
4: um, yeah. Um, and looking at this uh, the other way, um, how long does a design process like that take? Does it is it possible to 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 answer that? I mean, does it have a certain like starting date and end date?
3: Uh, well, we started this project of of kind of relaunching Summit in the very end of twenty. 13, with the initial thoughts of what it was we were going to do, and then we still had the 2014 line in play, so that one continued, but while that one was being designed and developed, we created a little skunkworks team that went off to the side and started on the 2015 product, uh, so a full two years in advance of the launch of it. And a lot of that time went into what was, what was possible and what were the fundamental problems that people, um, mountaineers needed to solve and how could we solve them with advanced manufacturing techniques, um, and, uh, you know, fairly straightforward, uh, simple concepts, but very elaborate in how we had to actually solve those problems.
4: And um finally you've already touched upon that but the uh, like the designers the team working on these products how how active are those people uh, outside of office hours
3: uh, quite quite active. Um, you know most of the people on our on our very technical uh, climbing skiing and running gear are all highly highly active um, whether it's the people working on our, on our running gear, they're all, they're all running 50 mile, uh, uh, trail runs and hundred mile UTMBs. Um, and, uh, if in our equipment team, they're out, um, I, the team was out just this weekend, all ice climbing up in the Sierras. Um, and they do it as a team and they do it without, um, without any prompting. They're very happy to go out and, uh, quote unquote, test product. So, um, and then the same for this team, Um, you know, going forward, a lot of the members of the summit product team actually live in Boulder, Colorado, where we have a small design studio there. Um, So they have access to uh, the Rockies on a regular basis.
2: Don't miss a short comment from Ed Nature after the interview.
5: What were you like when you were a kid? What I was like when I was a kid. Well, I think I was pretty normal average kid. I was I didn't have any kind of eccentric face in my life, I think so. But there's always like I said it about myself, so if you ask my parents maybe they said He was crazy. Something different. <laughs> but yeah, I mean I discovered this kind of life of being outside and pretty early I think for me and it was kind of hope my my father introduced me to climbing and mountaineering when I was around seven, so pretty early. But that comes in the
4: family. Your family, your father and your mother, they were very active people, outdoors
1: people.
5: Yeah, definitely my father and my mother was more kind of a... Mm, did it a mellow way, so she was hiking a lot. And what both showed me was adventure traveling. So from the... I mean, I can't imagine remember one holiday we did like a normal in a, a robinson club or whatever so we always went with a cheap or four wheel drive car and we we went through the middle of africa to so the sahara to so the hogger mountains i think when i was i don't know i must be something like 10 or 11 and i have one sister who's two years younger so we went there and and we went three times to iceland with our own car like from the with a ferry from I don't know it was Amsterdam or Hamburg or whatever and then I don't know five six days ferry up there and then the whole summer holidays like five weeks we we drove around there with the own car and so I think yeah I I've, they showed me both this kind of adventure life and and I was hooked my sister wasn't hooked at all for example she was she went totally in a different direction we have a good relationship but we are totally different so and I stayed on that track and and I finished high school and after that I started my mountain guide education and and become a mountain guide and started my my we yeah, have professional mountaineering career
4: but but <coughs> you never dreamt of uh... Because the next question would be if you dreamt of adventures as a kid, but you were out on adventures, on proper adventures, did you, did you dream of like going on an easy vacation to Mallorca, or did you dream of like wow well, the, the big old expeditions to Antarctica or Mount Everest or whatever? Did you did you have those kind of dreams or?
5: Definitely the the last one you mentioned. I I think I I can't remember that I dreamt, at all going to. Like I, wanna kind of, yeah, I want to go to London and my grandmother's house. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> no, never, and never. So um, also beach holiday was was always something kind of oh I was kind of scared of that. And we went always once a year only with my mother. I remember to to the, in the North Sea to Spekkelok. It's a really tiny island there without cars. But that was again. I mean that was on the sea, but it was. We could stroll around on this whole small island because it was so small we can just go on our own when we were kids so it was again really full on adventure for us so yeah i and and then and I grew up in Munich and we what we did we we made our own kind of small raft and went down like this tiny river which we had like close by and run a little bit through Munich and and things like that so we I always like to do that things and uh, so, so that was my start as an adventurer and a mountaineer. Uh,
4: but, but were you, or are you still interested in those? What I said, like the, like the old adventures, like the old big ones, the, the the old first uh, ascents and first uh, discoveries of of uh, continents and, and and mountains. And
5: well, I'm interested in, on the one side, uh, like reading of it. Of course, I I like to read the stories and. And the best and most motivating book for me on an expedition is always reading about Shackleton, Shackleton and these guys and because they... The, I best, mean,
4: the best commander on an expedition.
5: Yeah, and also like the the way... But I, I was always way more fascinated of the way they kind of suffer and they can stay there for this... I mean almost f- for a year on this island and just waiting and waiting because that's what you do on an expedition. So most you have this waiting game and... and and so when I read these things, I always think like, oh my god, we are so whiny, whiny here, and just after one week of bad weather, we kind of oh come on, it's changing, and we want to go home and whatever. so, so and, and you read these books, you think, look at these guys. I mean, they say like for a year they didn't have any kind of you know satellite phone or whatever. They even didn't know if they get rescued at all, and they just waited. And so I like these kind of aspects of kind of you know this and 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 this kind of, you know, they just, yeah, they they believed in it and they stayed and they waited and they just tried again and again. How often these guys went back there and tried yeah. it again to reach the south and North Pole is crazy. So, and uh, and that's what I find really super interesting uh, in on these old adventures. And, and for me, my adventures for sure are different. And nowadays, I think they... They they become different in in general, which don't make them any more, more enjoyable or, or exciting. Or I don't wish that I would have been born, in this decade. I'm super happy to live now and here, and and I think out there there are so many. Adventures waiting for me. So, I can't complain. And I, I
4: heard a, <coughs> I heard a quote. I don't know if I remember it correctly, but. Um, like back in the old, days, speaking of the old expeditions, that back in the old days the uh, the boats were made of wood and the main men were made of steel. These days the boats are made of plastic and the men's are ma- men are made of Gore-Tex.
5: <laughs> <laughs> that's right, probably that's a good quote. <laughs> that's what we are surrounded of like Gore-Tex and, and synthetic and high tech. I yeah. mean, it's crazy nowadays what what we have with us on this. Yeah adventures and, uh, and and if you look influences. if you look at the
4: clothes and the equipment that they had like i don't yeah. know only 50 years ago or 100 years ago it's it's amazing
5: to see what they accomplished no definitely when i when i compare to to the in the himalayas when i because that's my my field more or less like the high alpine mountaineering or climbing and and i see 50 years ago with the closest the equipment looked like it's it's sometimes hard to imagine that they that they survived or that they did what they did it's crazy um, you said that you uh, you became a mountain
4: guide after high school but you never had a normal job career or plans of a quote-unquote normal job career
5: no not that I had the plan but I also didn't have the plan to become a mountain guide so when I finished my high school in Germany, we have to do this one year of social work Sorry, at least. The military time. service or the social? Yeah, you can choose and I choose this social work. And I went to a place outside of Munich, like an hour and in the mountains. And at that point I was, became part of the, in German, the German Alpine club had this program, which called expedition team. Like, yeah, it's like this young Alpine mentoring thing. And uh, and I become a member of that team. So that was where I saw the first time the profession mountain guide. Because before I climbed with my father and then I, I learned by myself with friends, with people a little bit more experienced. But I never kind of had a, a, a guide who teach me something. So this was the first time I, I, I discovered there is a profession called mountain guide. And it was kind of, wow that could be something nice for me. And originally I wanted to start Studying after this one year of social work, but then I discovered this professional mountain guide and I said well I want to try this and, and then I was also like oh no and now after a year outside of Munich out of the city Back to the city and going to university was kind of oh no, I think I can't do that anymore <laughs> I was so already so like "Oh, I love this out here so, so and that's when I decided okay, I start now the mountain guide education thing, it takes three years or three and a half years. And and after that, I I saw that the professional mountain guide is something really just, yeah, it's so enjoyable. So it's, uh, it's, yeah, I can't think of something better at the moment as one of my two kind of income, so one is the mountain guide profession, the other one is like professional athlete or mountaineer how you ever want to call it so yeah I was I I never had then this in in my mind then to do like a kind of normal normal job and now to imagine going to an office 9 to 5 would. Open, open
4: an excel spreadsheet
5: yeah it's like oh it's <laughs> the most scary thing you can can give me this like my nightmares are out of this
4: <laughs> um how important has the uh the social side been to your progress as an alpinist, like doing it discovering it with your friends, or think you think, th- it's, do, you think it's it, a... do you think
5: it would have been the same even if you would have done it all like uh, on your own no, for sure not, and I definitely wouldn't call me like a a lonesome cowboy out there and or i i don't I'm not a solo climber as well, so I really enjoy and also need i think in a way to at least have like one partner like i like really small teams but one two or three that's like the perfect size for me on these trips and expeditions and then to enjoy together is is something yeah it it's part for me of why I, i i'm doing it and i I love to to spend the time waiting in a base camp with a good team, and you just have way more time to talk about everything, and everybody's way more, yeah, kind of you know re- relaxed and and uh, not not um uh, not um uh, distracted from the noise always around us here in the city with the Wi Fi uh, and, and the... yeah with everything, okay. and nowadays you have it started to you have Wi Fi in the base camp, which mm. is I enjoyed it on the one side, on the other side I think, wow, wow, another oh. thing we have there now too. But yeah, I had climbing partners, which I went two months on expedition and we almost had no contact then here in the normal at-home environment, but every third year we went on ex- or second year we went on expedition together again and again, and it was perfect. So, I really, it's, it's a huge part of, of being out there, that you have this social... Social relationships in the network there,
4: but do you have a, do you have relationships friendships like like that? What you just described like some people you spend time with like when you're in the city when you're in Munich and Some people you only spend time with out on expedition out of the mountains and you never Go to like dinner parties with them or whatever, but you have certain friends that you only share this experience with
5: yeah, definitely i have friends who just mostly because then they are no no mountaineers so i only see them when i'm at home like like old school friends and still we have a super good contact and every time in munich we we go out for dinner and doing these things and other friends i have like you said i only be with them on expedition and we text maybe once a year or something like that just to like, are you okay? Okay, good, fine, and and that's <laughs> it. And then suddenly, hey, next year, what do you think? We're doing this, okay? We're doing, and then we go two months, three months on an expedition. Incredible, intense from the kind of you know space you have to spend together, but it works perfectly, and it's. Uh, we I don't need, then the time in between to have kind of a you know ongoing. Interaction with this person, or or that I keep being updated what he's doing, like a weekly thing or whatever. So it's totally fine.
4: But do you think it's? Do you think that's? Uh, it's is it important for you to kind of keep these separate parts of your life to kind of distinguish? Well, these are friends that I share these uh, uh, moments with up in the mountains, and and uh, but I. Can't spend too much time with them because maybe then it will, you know. No, you didn't, like to strike no, some I kind am, of balance.
5: No, I don't think it's because of that. I think it's more just because often it's they live on. They live yeah. totally somewhere else. They or they. You also don't want. I mean, I I I have you know. I want to spend also time with other friends, and often then you think like, oh well, I've been with this person now two months on expedition now I'm it's okay not to spend now again all the time with this person so it's then then I want to climb with other people so I love to have different climbing partners here and there and so it's it's more this yeah location and related that they are not then all the time so it's not that I think I I need to have a break from this person because then it just works better in the end. No, that's. Uh,
4: how would you describe the the friendships that you create and the friendships that you make out on the mountains? Like the people that you you you, you first maybe you meet them at mountain so, huts and or or camps and so on. How how would you describe the these
5: type of friendships that you make? I think it's a. Uh it's a really intense friendship and it's a very pure friendship as well. Where you, you get to know people way better and way more without this facade. I say facade, which you easily can keep here in an in a environment where you are totally in your kind of comfort zone. So out there, even we are professionals, and but we are we are we we are dealing with situations where you where you, you you don't you can't you know put on this it would take too much energy you need your energy just for what's out there you can't pretend to be weak or strong or or, or whatever you you want to be here in the city and and uh, and that's why I think this, you you get to know persons way, yeah, in a way purer and, and natural, more more natural sense and and kind. So and that in the end makes I think a relationship which or a friendship which works in this environment is is stronger and and yeah, intent more intense in the end. Um, how would you?
4: How would you describe the role of the mountain guide, from your perspective?
5: Uh, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a long question. Because, um, I mean, for me, the the guiding, I, I really enjoy, still I enjoy it, and but it has something completely different to the climbing and mountaineering I do as a private person. So. When i go on expedition for myself it's completely different when i go in chamonix climbing a mountain for me with a friend looking for my challenge it's completely different when i go with clients guiding i'm i'm uh, that i get my satisfaction and my kind of joy out of helping this person to reach something which uh the person probably without me couldn't couldn't achieve so then to see for example that i summit with him then or with her with a person with a client and more blah which is weird like the normal route is something i've done a lot of times and it's kind of you think like oh it's super boring but when you when you you get to this challenge that you have to have or like really Try to you know make it happen for this person that he arrived there. It's a huge challenge, and then to to see his emotion or her emotion being up there on the on the summit of Mont Blanc, starting to cry the same way like I cry on a Makalu summit on an eight thousand meter peak, for example. It's I I totally can relate and and exactly knew what it, what it feels like in this moment, and that gives me then. Um, to be a, a small part of a huge part of of why he feels this thing now is a super good moment and it's a it's a very satisfying thing so that' what i really love on on guiding and and uh, and then but guiding can be yeah so much so that's that's why the question is really difficult <laughs> to like answer with one with yeah. one question
4: um, but is it also kind of a way for you to kind of rediscover your own progress and like get a different perspective of of where you came from and your your journey towards what you are today? Because you can you can kind of maybe see everything f- like from a fresh perspective, like from their perspective. Like you said, you've summited Mont Blanc hundreds of times, maybe, uh, but 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 then again, doing it together with the client,
5: you, 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 do you get some kind of uh Well, it's, uh, I have one project where I really see this. It's, I'm now, I was now for six years the coach of this young Alpine mentoring program in the German Alpine Club, and there I totally see that. And this was incredibly intense, and it was really also stressful because you have to push these young <laughs> persons there. They are sixteen to twenty five, something around that, and you have to push them in an environment which, like a small mistake, and you can't always kind of you know hold them the right <laughs> moment. So you need to kind of you know leave the, give them the long line, and they can uh, and and push them in in this really environment, in this alpine environment where a mistake can be really uh, pretty bad and but there to see how they progress and evolve in this is always a 3 year program so I did two of the teams and um, it was amazing to see and it was also for my it was so motiva- it was a, a huge motivation for me always to go with them and and to kind of see how they become stronger and if I can really if I can keep the pace more or less and 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 for example, in rock climbing, they are so good nowadays that I <laughs> I don't climb as good as rock today. But then when we come to altitude, it kind of okay. I have it under control, and so. And but to see how they progress and is, is amazing, and it just reminds me of of how I was, and and then on uh, on the, on the other guiding things, it's, it's it's hard to to see this point. But but there are other things then which is, we are absolutely which I enjoy, and and, and are good.
4: Uh, <clears throat> when it comes to mountains, what does a mountain need to have for you to become interested in it?
5: I think uh, it has to have uh, a story, and a story can be just the shape, the story can be that there is no story so far, or the story can be that they made history, like, like I really enjoyed climbing the Eiger North Face, the via the classic route, because like every pitch, every meter you gain, you find a different place, which is like, wow, here happened this, and then you continue, and like come around the next corner, and wow, here's this kind of bivy place, and this is called the difficult crack and whatever, and you know all the stories, so it's a, it's super interesting as well, even if it's nowadays maybe not the like the it's. It's not super uh, technical, difficult anymore, in the in the way what today alpinists can do. So, yeah, it has there has to be a story in in all the different ways, like I said.
4: Do you have a certain favorite mountain that you always come back to?
5: No, I don't. I don't think there's a really favorite mountain I come back to. I just love Chamonix so much, and and because it has this it's i think one of the best playgrounds i know for mountaineering but there i don't know There, are like there, are so many kind of different and smaller places and some is there so and i enjoy strolling around there and I don't have like a particular one which is like oh this is like my home mountain and as i always kind of move so much around in my life it's not that i always have this one mountain behind my house which I don't know, a Reinhold Messner had when he always went up and down up and down I don't know, Heidegger, altitude or whatever.
4: when it comes to and when it comes to expeditions um are the different aspects of the the expedition that you uh, uh like how, how does it work when you when you when you because I guess you get very a couple of times a year, you get offered and you get presented to different kind of expeditions. That would you like to participate mm-hmm. in this? Or would you like to come with us and do that? What do you look <coughs> What do you look at in an expedition for you to uh, uh, For you to 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 well, this is this is interesting. I want to join this.
5: It's a good question because really at the moment I struggle always to I I'm because there are so many interesting projects out there and at the moment it's always. Like, oh damn, this is also like, the like I already have signed for this kind of thing, which is great, but then, oh but this I would also like to do, and then, ah, oh, and my girlfriend's like, hey, come on, you can't go back to back to back on expedition, and it's like, yeah, I know that as well, and so there are so many good things out there, so you need to come at one point where you say, okay, now, the next two years, I do this and this and this, whatever that comes up, and... And I know that I can't be everywhere. Like now I just um stepped back from Nangap Harvard in winter for a second time. And I I it was really hard for me and I I to make this decision but on the other hand I I knew I'd just been back from Kyrgyzstan now for four weeks there on an expedition and now just spending here one month or one and a half and going again two months on expedition I got powered and then again in spring already another big expedition I have uh, yeah in mind it's just too much so can't can't do everything so yeah I need to and then how I choose the ones is I don't know it's um uh, of course they are all for me super interesting I would like to do way more than I do but in the end it's it's the time we don't I don't have and and the ones that I choose is because it's maybe a, a new climbing partner which I kind of always we planned long time to climb together or or some uh, I don't know some some mountain which I always want to go and so it's 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 like again what we said the goal has a story and I can always tell you I go to this mountain because this and this is the attempting part, or this is why I want to go there. So I would never go. And I always, always I also don't want to go if I don't have, you know, a feeling that one part of an expedition starts from the, from the time, from the, from the route, the mountain itself, the team or whatever, doesn't fit like 100% or where I don't have a good kind of gut feeling that, okay, that is right.
4: And when it comes to the members of an expedition, what would, because I, I guess you, you quite often end up with maybe you don't know everyone on the team. What, what, what parts of, uh, what type of, of personalities do you prefer? And what, what different aspects of the people, of the individuals, are
5: important for you? I mean, it's, it's really very important. And I, I learned also in this direction a lot. And I had expedition where I went with really good friends. But we went together for the wrong objective for for the wrong goal, so we just had no we didn't make it because yeah we we were just the wrong team, even we were p- good friends and we had no fights or whatever, but we just weren't the the one for the perfect one for for the for the objective for the for this kind of route, so you need to choose very carefully and as it is such a long time where you are so in this limited space intensely together it has to be a perfect setup and and because the smallest thing can drive you mad if you if you with someone who have i don't know in the end it drives you how he eats his uh, his soup or whatever or how he you know in the morning prepares his his muesli and you're saying like oh yeah if you do this always this loud way or whatever and it drives you nuts so it's a small thing so you know and it has to be really perfect so i i i really normally i know the people i go with and uh, so it never happened that i end up with expert on our expedition than in my team with people I, I hardly know. I had it now the first time in spring, I have to say, that I really yeah. just knew this person via Skype and it was also, I, I had from the beginning a good feeling because he was friend with a lot of my friends, so I know the kind of friends who you know him, so it's, this is how, how it worked then and we, we had... And the it worked team out was, well. was very well, yeah.
4: But I, I mean, I guess in some way it's like a marriage, I mean, uh, after a while even though you, you, it, it starts with love in, but in the end you can start getting annoyed at the small things and, 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 exactly. and sometimes it, have you had like, uh, like friendships like almost ending or like, you, uh, like
5: after a, a trip or an expedition you kind of, well, we will take separate ways from now on. No, not that we have it, and, but you had often the feeling that now you need a break from this person, for sure. Like, and that that's what I had, but but not that I, I never, luckily, until now had, yeah, like, that, that we fight on an expedition and then we had to go separate ways or whatever. It was, I mean, it was often that one of, my partners, they were like the first time doing an altitude expedition or whatever, and they discovered for them then that, no, really, I, it's not my kind of thing. I don't like that kind of style. But it was not because of me, because just, I don't know, they couldn't deal well with altitude or they don't like this kind of environment there. So that's why we ended up never going on an expedition. Hold
1: up?
5: dislike Um,
4: is there a competitive side of this kind of alpinism like when you like maybe you set out an objective and it could be like one it could be two years ahead in time like a new route or a a new peak or do this peak in winter time but at the same time maybe there is a guy up over in the US or in in Poland like who's planning the exact same thing Uh, you know
5: what I mean is there a is there a competitive side? For sure, there is a competitive side in the way that yeah, like like you like you said, there are some some mountains out there with like Nanga Parbat in winter, for example. Because it has which, never been
4: summited in the winter time
5: yet. Yeah, no. As it, we have two eight thousand meter pieces, K two and Nanga Parbat, who have never been summited in winter, and that's what a lot of climbers at the moment try and and so. You won't be there alone. Maybe could K- take two years because it's really I I don't know if that happens ever. So, but Nanga them a lot of people try that year, winter of the winter. So you won't be there alone, and and uh, you have to accept that the same happens to to lines on on other mountains or could even seven or six thousand meter peaks where when um, yeah we're really very. Um, uh, um, uh, how you say? Um, uh, attractive lines are still not climbed, and and you know, okay, people will go there in the next years. That's why we often it's it's kind of I always don't like it in a way that you kind of don't talk about your upcoming expeditions or uh, things, but on the other hand, you always kind of think like, ah, oh, if I say it now, maybe somebody else will. So you wait kind of the period that you think, okay, now they can't you know decide now okay i go now on a two months expedition because it's just not um, it's impossible just to say okay now i'm two months off so so now for spring i have something in my mind and we just you know don't talk about it in the way that we go there and we're so so until maybe yeah like like new year or whatever so and then
4: but do you think that okay. sometimes in in certain situations certain scenarios that that could be, uh, that that could maybe perhaps add to to the danger of this life, the competitive side. Do you think that some expedition they might stress a bit, that they might uh, hurry and they embark on something that they're not fully prepared for,
5: just to be first? I say, I mean, it happened in history. Wise, definitely, it happened when we just look to who's the first to climb all eight thousand meter peaks. Um Without oxygen, when Messner had the competition there going on, and uh and that happened so nowadays, I sing um uh, I mean or I just can say it for my for myself how I discovered it. I don't have then once I decide I go there, I don't have the feeling I pushed harder or whatever just to be the first on, on something. And uh, the same way which I never had the feeling to be pushed by sponsors, for example, or by by some, uh, I don't know, some media that they want me to be now the one on the summit or that they kind of, you know, they waited for for, for that. And no, I, I don't feel there any pressure. and. Even, and, and when I look again to Nanga but in winter, there was a Polish team with us, and uh, the same route, the same time, and we worked incredibly good together. I never had this kind of collaboration with two teams on a mountain, and summer on 8,000 meter peaks, where you're also mostly not alone. It's kind of everybody do his own thing, because anyway, it was then mostly not, not any new routes or something like where you can be the first. It's just like you want to summit or not. And everybody does his own thing. And then winter, it was. We worked so well together. We shared the weather forecast. We shared dinners. We shared tactics on the mountains. We
4: because you ended up uh, following the uh, the Polish team
5: or one of the Polish climbers because Simona got sick. Probably. Yeah, and and in the end. It was exactly like that, that I, that I Simone turned around in camp 2 because he got sick and I continued and joined Tomek, like the leader of the Polish team, and he was up there alone too because all his partners didn't came up as well. So we had radios and we said, yeah, we joined. So I, I joined him in camp 3, we continued to camp 4, we continued higher and then we had to turn around because of bad weather or the weather forecast was just for 24 hours good and we wouldn't make it in that time so it was a great experience and and said this but even the, the better experience was how we were so open about when we go how our tactics have, would be so there was no playing kind of you know naughty naughty games and and uh, this we do now and then they think maybe we start and then we are the first on the summit because journalists and media, they ask us what would be our tactic to be first on the summit in front of the Polish team, and we just sit there together, laughed laugh, and, and read this interview request and and then just said like, oh my god, it can't be. So <laughs> it was really really a good experience yeah. there. Um, I'm guessing that
4: at the level you are today, I guess that. You ended up like uh, working with people that you maybe uh, looked up to and people you admired, like uh, when you were younger.
5: Yeah, of course. Sometimes I, 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 I kind of have this kind of yeah foolish smile that i think like oh cool now this person called me and asked me to to join him for the next expedition and and i always read or even the beginning of my career i kind of read of this person's and so now for example when i was in langtang for this for this summit series thing i was well, the first time i was two weeks together there on an expedition with conrad Anker and I mean, he was—you know—you always read the stories of Karen Anchor, and suddenly you sit there in a lodge in winter in Langtang in Nepal, and and you—it's totally normal, and and it's.
4: What well, does it make you this, feel?
5: This makes me sometimes, yeah. Like this kind of puts me a smile in my in my face and you huh, cool <laughs> and how uh, it ended up, and and. Uh, But it's not that I would think like, oh cool, I made it now, now I'm in the, I don't know, first league of of the mountaineers or whatever, so not at all, so so it's just, I think I I always, I have more of the feeling like, sometimes it's funny how the life kind of, you know, um, uh, twists and turns and then flows you to this direction and where you end up in a way, so that's what what it is it's a curious way of how it goes. In,
4: in 10 years you'll be sitting in a camp with, with someone younger than you and then he will he or she will experience the same thing. Well, here I am mm-hmm. with Maybe Maybe, with yeah.
5: Care. I mean, it was, for example, so cool to see how Galinde, I was climbing with Galinde Kartenbronn a lot, was with her on expedition and she's the first, she's from Austria, and she's the first woman who summited all 14,000-8,000 um, uh, meter peaks without oxygen. And, uh, and she was, I mean, we were, when we started climbing together in 2003, she was yeah, little known, but then of course, when she finished, uh, she was a superstar more or less in the scene and Austria goes crazy to her and, and, and it, and it happened that the, that the, I don't know if you still, or the, the former Austrian president, they call him base camp and come <laughs> make congratulations and, and you pick up the thing and like, oh, I pass you so, and uh, this is super funny to to see them. Um Do you think it's possible to see
4: any trends in in when it comes to mountaineering and, and alpinism? And now I don't, you know, I I, I don't mean like the color yeah. of your jackets or a style of jackets or clothes, but but like, well, like now, for instance, the like the winter uh, the w- winter expeditions and.
5: Well, I think that, I mean, despite the color of the checkers, because there's a new <laughs> trend too, but um, no, I I think the winter expedition they're not a new trend, because it's just it just like, you know, we are now on this final stage, and that's like where everything gets kind of concentrated to these two moments Nanga Powered and K2, and before, I mean, it happened so long, and also Nanga Powered would rise in, I don't know, 18 years or whatever, and uh and uh, so it's not a new trend the new thing is maybe that it's just way more easier to just um get um get audience for that and make it public through through all the new media we have and the possibilities you have and uh, and the but there's i think the one trend we see which is kind of evolving more or is 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 pushing this mountaineering higher is just this speed aspect so so you there or the equipment gets way lighter and and then the the there are mountaineers which are which are having a kind of different approach to mountaineering and instead of like i want to i that route out and spend like days on the on the face they just have this radical uh, approach of I reduce my equipment so much and be super fit as well that I can do it in one day. And there we see, I think, also on the high mountains for also for new routes, which are before kind of not possible because maybe you have no place where you can be or things like that. So you there we will see, I think, like this is the, 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 Evolution, which at the moment happened or the the next thing
4: what do you think uh, what is it that dictates these and uh, moves these these frontiers within alpinism is it like tech like the, the now it's possible to make equipment that's so much lighter but still durable and strong is it like the, the tech part or is it something else
5: I think it's a combination of the one side is a tech but like we said before I mean when when we see the equipment which they had I don't know on the first ascent it was just so heavy but this they had to have this warm jacket which weighed i don't know 10 times more than we have now so and with this jacket you can't be fast so that's the one side and the other side is that it gets more professional from a sport yeah as a sport itself so the the younger generations they start now to train way harder endurance and these things way earlier than it was before so before when we when we go even further back like to to someone like hillary or whatever they were sportsmen but they were not really like they were way more adventure and the classical thing so and and now they are really professional athletes who train hard and come even more from a from a competition sport like like endurance running or, or, or trail running and then they convert into mountaineers. so then they become the adventurer so and not the other way around so that's what i think is uh, makes the change
4: because that was actually also an, an answer to my next question about if you see any new type of people that, that start out in this but this that that's, would be my guess as well yeah. like you said like people go like trail running the next step is like ski mountaineering and then you're into alpinism maybe.
5: Yeah, exactly. This, like this may one approach which, we, which you see, many new talented, fast, good alpinists come up there or they start as competition cl- indoor climbers on, on plastic so, and then they suddenly become super strong alpinists like, for example, David Lama. Or the other one from the running side is Akilia and Jornet who, yeah. You know, so you have these types there, and and these are not the only two. They're coming a lot more. So,
4: was it more dangerous before? You think?
5: No, no, it was not more dangerous before. I would think it it stays the same, and and we have now a way better safety margin due to better equipment. Of course, we push it also then again the the limits so so i think it's it's the same and and nowadays maybe it becomes even more dangerous because uh, this evolution like like people go from from indoor climbing to to outdoor scary climbing it happens so fast because they have all the power but they have the lack of of knowledge and experience which has to grow over years so and that is the the danger i think which is nowadays way more than than it was in the past
4: um if you guess look in the in the crystal bowl where do you where do you think like if you look if you will look 10 years ahead how would you what would you guess that the the climate is like when it comes to alpinism where are the new borders the new frontiers
5: that's hard to say. That's hard to say. <laughs> I think we see one direction which goes that it's like that you can be as a consumer really twenty four hours with such an climber out there through no new, new technologies and you can put your VR like a virtual reality goggles on and you just be put with it on them. Killian and then yeah, let him run it, away. Yeah, exactly. And one while he's doing that you can be with him and there's not only one there are like millions who 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 summit with him everest or whatever i think that will i mean and i don't don't think that killian is the one who want to do that i mean don't take me wrong but someone like like king and that's that's the one thing we will see and on the other hand we see the other extreme that they there will be really new Very strong and interesting people coming up. We totally refuse that kind of trend so so But yeah, I think we will see scary things with this kind of That you can be so close to when it happens I mean it already can be now It's almost now possible, but still it's kind of you don't want that, but I think it won't take long that you Get can be really close to when it happened in real time.
4: <clears throat> the next question is very, very big and very v- vague. <laughs> but um, if, if, if you see the, the, an expedition on, on the way to, to a summit and go down again, if you look at that risk equation, the entire equation of this, of this exposure, how would you describe the, the danger, the factor in this, which is danger? How would you describe that, and your relationship to it?
5: I don't know if I get you right now, but I I just answer and then you can correct me. <laughs> so I I think I mean danger is is part of this of this game, and without the danger, it wouldn't be so attractive. And maybe I don't want it to do it, but it's not. It doesn't mean that I I'm. Uh, I'm looking there for getting my thrill moments on an expedition. Exactly the opposite. I try to avoid them as much as possible. So I do whenever I can um, go not in a slope who looks avalanche or under a serac, or under rockfall or whatever. So I have, I try to make my best risk management possible to avoid any dangerous zones, but still I know i i i it wouldn't be so intense and it wouldn't be give me so much back in the end if i if i would only go to mountains which are just a small hill and which don't challenge me at all so and the challenge in the end maybe with some call it then danger or yeah it's it's hard to i think to describe it because it, as I said, I don't want me to call like a... like a risks... Um, uh, kind of... risky guy. I don't think I'm... I'm yeah, kind of, you know, looking for this real guy. So... So, uh, yeah, I think it's... It, um. it comes along and it's also super... difficult to see for... or uh, that... I think I have a totally different kind of what is dangerous and what not because I have the experience and I'm there in this place to someone who looks from outside and have not this experience. They often think we are totally, we have borderline syndrome or something like that. We just want to die, but it's it's not that it's the opposite. And and, uh, and that's why I also think somebody like 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 I don't know when Alexander Huber climbed Free Solo or something or Hans Jörg Auer climbed Free Solo, the Fisher or whatever. And um, uh, they they think they to somebody who's not climbing he thinks that's absolutely um uh, not um unverantwortlich in German. Um, it's not responsible like it hmm. is unresponsible irresponsible irresponsible to do something like that and for me it's like yeah but they have thought about everything what they do there so they have a really good risk management to what they do and and they said for them it's okay and i think someone who goes like oh i go this small hike here around um stockholm here in the forest and he he even don't know what dangers there are, and and he has a worse, way worse risk management than the guy who's doing a free solo on an eight thousand meter peak, I think. So, it's really this kind of point where from where you look or where's you, yeah. So the guy who's doing it, I think he's kind of aware of of all the risks who are there.
4: Uh, do you think you, if you look at the past, are you more? is it is it, are you uh, have you become better at keeping within your within your limitations and within your i don't know within your uh, your potential uh like now you know where you can push yourself and and you know you know exactly what line where you can where you can balance and and back in the day were you more uh, was it more possible for you to to kind of exceed that and maybe you didn't even know that this is this is way past my this is way past my level, but do you know
5: what I mean? Yeah, I think I, I I I learned there to 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 keep to be aware at least, okay, this is now the point where I push really harder or, or outside of my limit now or where I step outside of my normal where where I think like, okay, now it's getting really here Risky in a way, but I'm I'm way more aware of it and I realize okay That's now the point and do I want to continue or not and then I make the decision so and that was in the past I think Yeah, not that I was so Conscious about where I am in my field of From yeah going over the edge or not
4: Um, If you look back on your climbing career has it been difficult for you to turn around or have you always been been good at that
5: I think I learned it quite early that it's part of of being a mountaineer and especially doing expeditions that turning around you have to accept and it's even the moment up there feels horrible when you do it and you you kind of you know there's this card out, it's like collapsing at one at once so you're just like Dah. It's so frustrating in this moment, but it's part of it. And he and I never, I think, turned around because just of being lazy or because of of I don't want anymore. So it was, and then uh, and that's why I think I'm a good turn around. Uh, but I think it's something which is normal when I look back to ninety nine was my first longer expedition trip apart uh, aboard. No, abroad, here we are, (laughs) Um, And to Patagonia from now, I just came back from my, in Kyrgyzstan, I come back from my 31st expedition or something like this, in this 15 years or 16 years, and half of the expedition were successful in the way that I reached the summit, and the other half not, so if it's 50 50 which i think in every other investment you do you will say oh we do something else so and um, but and i think if if other alpinists look at their thing it's pretty the same so yeah it's part of the game
4: um, <clears throat> have you ever made uh, decisions up in the mountains that you afterwards that you are ashamed of uh that you did it for the wrong reasons that you made Bad decisions and and uh, that you, you know, f- felt ashamed of, or like oh, this is, was really really bad.
5: Yeah, I mean, one time only I have to say, and this was then pretty full on. It was on Amata Blum, the the story we had there. So we climbed there, like a new route to the north face of Amata Blum together with a friend of Japan from Japan, Kasuya Hirai, and we ended up on a ridge, and there we kind of got stuck so we couldn't get back and forwards and we also were so light that we couldn't repel the whole route and our strategy and this was something we knew from the beginning and now if it's uh, if it's um we have the time here to make it long i think so yeah, for me so so we we thought about when we started to climb in the lower part if there the conditions are climbable then we in the upper part they must be they must improve because there's sun hitting the face so the snow gets better and there's wind to make the snow conditions better and we did an acclimatization trip to a mountain like two three kilometers close to that mountain to island peak and uh, the same exposure of the ridge and there it was really good at the same altitude and we started the climb and we it was good to climb so we knew okay we want to go to the top and then back down the other side where our fixed ropes and where the normal way go down this was the plan and then we climbed there three days to the north face and then we got to that ridge and there we got stuck because there the conditions were so bad that it was not climbable anymore so it was only avalanches going down wherever you stepped on it was huge pinecles seracs, which were was not climbable we want to go down and the ridge which was the same way down so we had only one kind of protection thing for in this snow and so we were stuck so we called the rescue and they came immediately but and they took me because they took only one because of the they from the weight of the helicopter which can take and they took me flew me down and then they flew up again and then by the second attempt where they went to rescue my friend the helicopter the rotor touched the 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 ridge and fell down thousand eight hundred meters and the helicopter crew died so the pilot and the rescue guy and Kasuya was not in the helicopter at that moment he was just like half a meter away so he was alone there and then the next day the best friend of the helicopter pilot of the of, the, of Captain Sabine came then with the last helicopter in Nepal and rescued Kasuya so it was a pretty full on story and. back to the question this is like the only chapter in my mountaineering career where i really kind of ashamed of that we that we ended up in a situation where we needed to be rescued without having kind of an injury so we brought ourselves in a situation where we got stuck so that is something which is yeah uh, i have to accept this as part of my career or not career but of my more life as a mountaineer but and I can't change it anymore unfortunately and I'm ashamed of it but yeah I I, I have to accept it but that you looked up that you went that to the
4: families uh, of the of the helicopter crew and you you, uh, you have contact or you had or have contact with them right?
5: yeah that's um, I mean the whole story then uh, brings yeah continues uh, until now and it became to something really good and and so 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 positive in the way that I have a really good relationship with the uh, the family of Purna Avale was a, a rescue guy so who died there and at the moment I try to manage or we try that their son um, Rikesh that he goes to Germany to study there so I just got yesterday there that he has the visa and, and all these things so it's really cool so what happens uh, how how this changed and the relationship to both of the families are really good and 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 also like when we went after this accident to the families when they had the funeral was such a Crazy, intense um, uh, experience and 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 situations and and feelings which I never had before and and uh, and uh, and that is really positive, but just the beginning, of course, mm. of this friendship and this story is yeah, like the darkest point in my or the darkest moment in my climbing.
4: But you um, never had a. It never made you consider like leaving all of this behind you and uh kind of not to do expeditions
5: no no not at all not i mean of course the moment it happened and i was down and he was up there kazuya was up and i was down and i kind of realized that this helicopter crashed and i of course I, i was totally Destroyed in a way that I I was angry about everything you know, the mountain the, the climbing and all these things because yeah this, kind of ah, what can we do and why this need to happen and it's not fair from everything and but in the end you realize it's not the mountains who made us I mean we go there so so and and we want to to go there and and up there Kasuya he took a picture on this. Evening when he was alone there and I was up and he showed it me afterwards and it's one of the beautiful sunsets you you can imagine and you watch this picture and immediately you think wow I want to go climb this mountain there and this there <laughs> so so uh, we 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 both continued and we both had never I think the moment that we think we want to stop it and and also the 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 mother of Captain Sarvin of the one. The pilot who died it was really very yeah, intense she, she looked at me when I went to the funeral and he said, she said to me David you need now to uh, take really care because you need now to live the life of three so it's like and uh, you should enjoy life and, and that's what I'm doing so I think I, I couldn't do any better at the moment to, to do what I do to do go to the mountains so i think i kind of yeah fulfill what you wished um
4: <clears throat> what does your uh, what i usually call like reactor look like like your like your inner core like the this the, this thing within you that that generates energy for you to keep going when it's like dark cold and you're tired and you're like your entire body screams at you to stop what what keeps you moving forward? Where do you summon
5: energy for that? I think from the, all the positive moments I had and how how they feel how they felt and and that I know that I have to go through this kind of dark moments or the struggles and and these moments where you feel weak and where you want to turn around and once you get through these moments, the the other side feels even better. So. So you, and I think once you experience that, uh, you want to have it again and again. And that was what drives me forward.
4: Um, you also work as a, as a photographer or a camera cameraman?
5: Yeah, but only on expedition. And this is more in the meantime, because it just changed slightly that I just can, that I can, yeah, be out there more that really like a professional athlete. And so... For me, it's something I really enjoy and like to do it. So I would call it me time, even more like a hobby. But of course, even on Nanga I was doing the pictures and was paid for doing the pictures and things like that. So I think it's, a, it's an okay level, but I wouldn't call me like a professional photographer because that uh, wouldn't do all the others.
4: Um, well. what, what, what are you most proud of?
5: Mm. I think I mean the one thing is really I'm kind of proud is how this chapter of Ahmadablam, Blam this accident turned out now so where where it is now and if I really when Rikesh be able to study here this would be one of really my really proud moments Mm. and uh, and then the other thing is just I think I'm just, yeah, that that I managed until now, yeah, not to, to lost any, any toe, any finger, so that I, I, I turned around, always at the right point, as it seems, so, and still have, yeah, summited quite, quite a lot of the mountains.
4: Um, is it possible to say at what stage you are now in your life?
5: I think that's... Difficult to say where I am because I, I just, I dream of so many things. So I wouldn't say that I'm now on my high. I mean, definitely, I don't think I'm at the, at the high point of where I I want to be for myself. So, no, there. I mean, I started now the first time to work with a coach to to train. So really, like, super concentrated and and like a, mental, like a mental like a mental code no it's, or? no it's like physical mostly so it's really to get like on an, another level of endurance and uh physical strength so and that i i'm really curious and interested to see what 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 i can yeah what i am be able to do when i when i train with him for i don't know six months or whatever so so we will see you so i definitely think i or i hope i i'm not on my peak um thank you so much for
4: for taking your time you're welcome
6: my name is Kalle Ringborg i work with marketing and events at uh, at nature First time we heard about this uh, The Other Way project or Summit Series project was uh, one year before the release. But first time we saw it was in Friedrichshafen last summer. We were invited to this show where they showed us the product and uh, told us the story about it. After that, we had 30 minutes to place an order and uh, we went for it. Super cool project, really nice stuff. And we were the only retailer online that was allowed to sell it in Sweden. I think the whole release uh, was a really cool idea. that Everything was uh, top secret until the date when they released it. We had a really cool lecture with David Götler in uh, one of our shops. And I think uh, the whole package was uh, really cool and uh, really fun project to work with.
2: Follow me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at the handle husky podcast.